The Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS. Brought to you by Mortgage CS. Become a Mortgage CS Ricky VIP at mortgagecs.com slash Ricky. Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process, 302-864-8643. LL Pavorsky Jewelers, by writes to Ricky Sanchez. Listeners, go and get engaged. And Kinetic Skateboarding, get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, the Mike nine wins in a row challenge is still alive. As the Sixers get their fourth straight, James Harden does a long interview with our friend Euron Weitzman. We will get to the Ringers Top 100 and the ESPN MVP straw poll and more entertaining mailbag and voicemail questions as always. I did mention Kinetic Skateboarding, a trusted sponsor of the Ricky. We are one week from Christmas and it is possible that you still have shopping to do. And Kinetic is a great source of shopping, I would imagine, for many Ricky listeners because of the clothing they have, because of the sneakers they have, because of the great deals on snowboards and snowboarding equipment that they have. In fact, if you buy a new snowboard from them right now, you get free tunes for life. We love Kinetic, a great spot for your last-minute Christmas shopping. Go to kineticskateboarding.com and use code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. And we'd like to wish a happy 30th birthday to Johnny Mills, who turns 30 this week. This comes from Johnny's friend, Ella. Johnny is the person that turned Ella on to the Ricky. He grew up in Oregon, moved to Philly, became a Sixers fan, and then uh, turned Ella on to the Ricky. And now... He is in Perth, Australia, right this second, visiting his family. He lives in uh, Denver now. Sorry to hear. But we want to wish a very happy birthday to Johnny from Ella. This is the shout out section of the pod. And uh, oh, and one final thing. Well, I guess if you're hearing it here, it doesn't matter. Uh, very quickly, if you listen to the pod on Google Podcasts, Google Podcasts suck. We always have trouble with them. We've had trouble with them the 10 years we've done this podcast. Please listen elsewhere. That is my, my note. Anywhere else. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. Welcome to the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spy Gaskin, along with a guy whose throat is open for business. That is one Mike Levin. Wide open. Come on in. That's four. Four in a row, buddy. Four, four in a row. Four of nine. A yes. necessary four. Not a, thus far, you know, beating the Warriors without Steph and Draymond and Wiggins. Yep. Is not a, an accomplishment. It's not no. a feat. No, but it counts. It counts. Yeah. And these were nine wins that they needed to have. They have four of them so far, five to go. Yeah. The, the, you have to, it's like baby steps, right? I mean, you, you, you don't want to overshower with them with praise for winning four games in a row when one, the first one was a disaster. Uh, one was against the Hornets. One was against the Warriors without Steph Draymond and Wiggins, though the Kings win was a good one. Yeah. However, the idea of this particular team, this particular season winning four in a row a couple of weeks ago seemed, regardless of opponent, seemed like a, a pretty 
a pretty deep long shot. So, and, and the idea that they were, they had were at one point two and five with both Embiid and Harden and the two looking like they were playing in different worlds. So them both playing well at the same time and winning four in a row is good. It counts. Yeah. Look, it all counts. Yeah. The NBA basketball still. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a Sixers team that has come out looking flat against lesser opponents many times over the years. Yep. And they did it against the Warriors, and it seemed like there was just such an, uh, you know, abject sluggishness mm-hmm. out in the court, but pulled it together. Warriors did hit a bunch of shots. That That is part of it, but they also hit a bunch of shots that were wide open because the Sixers were very clearly not giving a fuck. Um but there were still some nice things that you saw in that game, and um, I'm look. We need we need nine wins in a row. I don't care how they come. So this is almost halfway there. Yeah, I uh, it was a, another the Harden hit shots game. You know, it was a I thought it was a, a pretty decent Harden game, and another um, another like strong engaged and beat game once mm-hmm. they started trying. I thought, and mm-hmm. you know, like. They uh, it was a. Uh, I also thought like D'Anthony Melton uh, had a couple of it, like every game. There's a couple of times defensively where he gets his hands on a ball that you. That, okay, I want to compare him not to shit on Thibel. I want to compare him to Thibel in 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 that like defensively. I feel like when Melton gets in a passing lane. He is not taking himself out of position to do whatever he was doing before. Like you don't even notice it. Whereas Thibault feels like he's playing free safety a little bit and you can, you can see it, but Melton seems to have a much better, uh, you know, on a, on a string sense of team defense and when to go for those than, than Thibault does. And he's such a fantastic defender in that way. I think that that's right. There are a couple of times when I, I don't find, I feel like the one issue I would have with that is that I think Melton occasionally overhelps. Okay. And puts his body in a in the middle in that no man's land where he's not actually double teaming the ball to try to like make it hard on them and he's not actually and he's too far away to to contest. And I don't feel like Matisse does that quite as much to my right. eye. Sure. Um and that's just a personal pet peeve of mine like overhelping pointlessly. I think I forget who Matisse was covering but Melton helped onto Matisse, and then the act of just going over there allowed his guy to be open for three. Sure. And you just don't need to do that. I mean, especially on Matisse, you don't need to do that. Um, I think that's what they're asking you to do. I, when, whenever anybody, any team double teams Harden, I'm kissing their feet, thanking them. Like, it's easy, it's, makes it a lot easier. Like, I just don't understand why, why teams do it, why coaches have teams do it. I think it's mostly bad. I mean, I get, I get why they double team Embiid. Uh, especially in parts of the court, you know, like the low block or something where you can come on his blind side, you can deal the ball. That's absolutely necessary, especially if you're a good team, like with length, like the Raptors or whatever. Um, but when you're double teaming and be in the middle of the court, I'm, I, that's a good lesson for, and good practice for Joel to just find the open player. And I think a little bit, not as much as I would like, but a little bit over the past couple of games, they've done enough movement where it's not just Embiid gets doubled and now you know one guy in the corner can cover both the guy at the in the baseline corner and the guy at the uh, at the wing extended and I think they've been moving a little bit I think PG does a decent job of like setting a screen there that's what he loves to do so as far as what I want I want I don't want them to double on defense as much as possible especially with Embiid back there and with defenders like Thibault Melton and, and PJ you don't you shouldn't have to. Um, and on offense, I want them to keep exploiting that. And I think they have been doing a slightly better job of that than previously. The, uh, it was also a nice, uh, shake Milton game. I thought who is continuing his solid play, even with Harden's, yeah. you know, uh, even with Harden's return, I'm interested to see when Maxi gets back where his spot is, but has, yeah. has looked more under control and almost vet like than he ever has in his career. I think knowing what he's supposed to do all the time. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he missed a couple shots at the rim this game that he had been making previously. Um, and that happens. He, he was, I think, probably a little bit shooting over his head at the rim, um, numbers-wise. So he was bound for that. And I think Kevon Looney is a solid player that that impacts the shot like that a lot. 
Um, but man, he's just a good player. He's just a good player, and it's nice to have another guy on the court that's not Harden who can get his shot and get a decent look at the shot. He he can get you know he's not Chris Middleton, he's not Kawhi, he's not, he's not like he's not unstoppable, but he's a guy, an NBA player that in any given situation can with four seconds left from the shot clock can get into the paint and get at least a decent 12 footer off where he can create space because he's so long and he can and he shoots it over his head. It's a, it's a nice luxury to have. And I would, I, I'm curious to see when the playoffs come around, what those like three or four guys are. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the long season still to go. Shake is making the case that he should be one of those guys. I think that is absolutely fair. And it, it, it more than anything, good to know that he exists if one of the other two primary guys, ball handler guys, are yeah. incapacitated for any reason. You know, like him him being available if Maxi were were to be in foul trouble or Harden were to be out for a game with a hamstring or something is 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 super positive, I think. Yeah, and I think they're making a point to get him the ball in places where he can do those things. I think earlier in the season it was just a little bit, okay, shake, stand in the corner. And he couldn't really get into a rhythm there. And this time I think they're, you know, every uh, every broadcast, national broadcast, where the coaches are mic'd up and we get inside the huddle. Yep. It's Doc says the same thing every time, right? What does he say? I don't even know. What he plays he pace. Move oh, it up. Right, we gotta right, play right, pace. Right. Pace. Yeah, he's yeah. just doing that every time. It's just like that's I mean, I'm sure he's saying other things in the huddle, and they're only allowed to televise the like yeah, obviously, but he's only saying move the ball, play with right. pace. That's the only thing he's saying. And uh, I think in those moments, you can see like Shake them trying to push ahead and give Shake the ball in like semi transition so he can uh, exploit a, an unset defense. And I really liked my, my favorite play of the game against the Warriors was uh, Harden immediately catching, getting a rebound, not putting the ball on the floor even once, turning, seeing Dan House has. You know the cornerback beat deep, and two-handed chest pass right into his lap. You love those passes. I do love those passes. You love them. I love. Well, how can you not? I'm not it saying is, this, just, they, you love them. I, di- I die for them because they're so rare with this team. Both having a guy that could a make that pass, which I guess Simmons was kind of, but I don't think did it as much as I would like. And then have a guy that is willing to take off in transition and is fast enough to beat the defense and then also dunk uh, easily. Anthony Lamb was coming over. He, fa- he ended up fouling Dan House there. I kind of um, like him, by the way, it, Anthony Lamb. Interesting. Yeah. He went to college at Vermont. Mm, how about that? Yeah. Um, but like, it's just those necessary transition points are so big. And Bede had a, a play where I think... I think it was Van Gundy on the call, I think, where he noticed, like, you can get these plays in the playoffs if you're running the court and get easy MB dunks and stuff. And there was a nice play with where MB got a dunk in transition, which I loved. I just, it's such a slog sometimes in the half court setting for this team. They are capable of looking good. Obviously, the pick and roll is nice when the shots are going in. It's, it, it, there's a lot of things that they can't, the, other, the defense can't take away. But sometimes when it gets slow and they're not playing with, Doc's preferred pace. It's just it's such a blessing to just be able to get a quick bucket in transition, the way other teams seem to uh, much more frequently. All right, I, I have a Doc question for you in in one second. Uh, before I do, Mortgage CS sponsor of the Ricky, trusted sponsor, mortgage broker, local, independent, serves only you. That's right, only you. My advice to you, if you've never purchased a home or needed a mortgage before, Mortgage CS should be your first stop. My advice to you, even if you have before and you had somebody you liked working with, give Mortgage CS a shot. MortgageCS.com slash Ricky. MortgageCS.com slash Ricky. Go there to find out more about them and what the difference in, in how they work and what they do is. Go there as well to become a Ricky VIP. Make sure when you make an appointment with them, you let them know you're a Ricky listener. The difference between Mortgage CS and other mortgage lenders when you just Google, or the mortgage brokers rather, when you just Google, uh, get me a mortgage or whatever. Mortgage CS 
not a lender. So they, they're not giving you the money, right? What they do is they go to all the lenders and they find the best rate for you. And the best thing about Mortgage CS, I would say two things, best two things. First of all, because they don't have any unsaid, you know, uh, relationships with any of these banks, their only relationship is with you. Their only job is to get you the best rate. A lot of mortgage brokers have relationships with specific banks. So they want to lead you toward them, even though it might not be the best for you. And the other great thing about Mortgage CS is they are invested in making sure you understand how this entire process works. So when you walk away, you're going to know more about the mortgage process. Even if you end up not getting the mortgage through Mortgage CS, you're going to be more educated. They're available whenever you need them, morning, night, middle of the night, weekends, holidays, whatever. 267-391-7425 is their Ben, their CEO's cell phone number, direct cell phone number. You can text them or call them right now. 267-391-7425. All I ask is that you give them a shot. And so many Ricky listeners have, and all of them say the same thing. Wow, you were, my, you were right. Everything you said about Mortgage CS was right. Go to mortgagecs.com slash Ricky, mortgagecs.com slash Ricky, whether you're refinancing, whether you're debt consolidating, or you're buying a new home, or call or text Ben 267-391-7425. This advertisement is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CS is an equal housing opportunity mortgage broker. All loans are subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may apply. Company NMLS 1464766. Visit mortgagecs.com slash Ricky for more information. All right, doc, I'm famously not a coach guy. Don't like talking about the coaches. I am a coach guy. I, you you I are a coach. You, you're specifically- in so many ways. A coach, right? We'll get to that in the voicemail. A lot of Coach Mike uh, oh, really? action in the voicemail, in the emails, yes. Coach Mike. Coach, the, the, coach, the profile of Coach Mike is, is raising to a level we've, we've not seen in quite a while. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the reason I don't like talking about the coach is generally like the coach's only- a reason to say why things are going wrong and rarely why things are going right. The Sixers have played better the last four games. Embiid and Harden look like better, more engaged the last four games. Like no one, zero people are saying, wow, Doc Rivers really, the, 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 they look like they're getting it together thanks to Doc Rivers. Not that I think it is him, but like, I, I just, I think the coach becomes like this outlet for everything that you don't like about the team and whether, whether it has anything to do with them or not. Like when, when we see Embiid and Harden unengaged, we're like, well, that's the coach's job. Well, then when they are engaged, we don't go and then credit the coach. And I, that is my problem. I don't care if they fire Doc Rivers. I, I like, I, don't think he's a good coach or anything, but I just think a lot of what ails the Sixers this season has very little to do with the coach. And I think we would all agree. We've all said like, oh, is Nick Nurse a good coach? We'd all say yes, right? Nick Nurse is a good coach. Well, outside of that Kawhi season, that team's done nothing. They're underperforming this year. And like, I don't know if it's Nick Nurse's fault or not, but like, I, I, I just think like we get it in our heads what is wrong? And we always err to the side of the coach when it's usually not the coach. And I just like to think that things that are wrong with the Sixers this year aren't, aren't specifically coach related. And I, I think the fact that, that Doc Rivers is not getting credit for them playing better is, is perhaps indicative of that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth in there. Um, it's a little bit like, you know, the, an umpire or an offensive line is like, you're only mentioning them when they're bad. When something goes wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think these are four games that the Sixers should have won. Yes, I agree. And it's not like they're required some coaching brilliance. For um, sure. I think doc is a coach where you're not seeing it. You know, you're not seeing unlike, Ty Lu or Nick Nurse, as just as an, an example, and then there's plenty of newer coaches that I like this season a lot. You're not seeing like, wow, look at this play or look at this choice that they made here. He's just saying like pace and like do your thing, and he's like waving his arms on the sideline and he's making faces. Like it's he's not like a coach that you look at him and you're like that guy's coaching. That guy's out here making choices, and those choices are succeeding. 
I think in some, in some ways, that's why people, that's why he has gotten a reputation of being a player's coach is because he is just empowering his best players to like go do their thing and not trying to do that much more than that, not overcoaching. Um, but he's not that good. <laughs> well, I, I, like, look, I, I, I agree with you. And I think he, I think his worst quality is that he's an asshole and he doesn't care that much. But I would say if we had a positive view of doc rivers, like if, if our memory was washed away of doc and was replaced by some other coach, we would say, wow, well under doc, Joel Embiid has had his best seasons. MVP caliber seasons under mm -hmm. doc Tyrese Maxey has gone from uh, X to Y under doc Tobias Harris has gone from ball stopper player a to buy in player B under doc shake Milton has gone from a to B right like under doc like George Niang has gone from uh, like role player X to role player Y and I'm not, I'm not saying he is responsible for those things, but what I am saying is if we had a positive view of him, we would give him credit for those things. That's and fair. because we don't, and again, I think he's an asshole. I don't care if they fire him, but I, I, I do think we're a little, a little picky and choosy about what we blame him for and what we give him credit for. A hundred percent. I think that's completely fair. I think also the fact that, that like, I'm the thing that I'm like hyper focused on with Doc. Backup center is backup center. All right. And Montrez Harrell sucks. Sucks now. Didn't hasn't always sucked. Has sucked the last couple seasons. And he is insistent on playing him, despite the fact that he is giving them nothing. Sure. Well, I, I blame Daryl just as much for that. I blame Daryl for sure for allowing his coach's worst impulses. Although Daryl did blame, like he's the reason why we have him. It's like, yeah, thanks, Daryl. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, so that is the thing that I am like frustratingly focused on, perhaps to a lot of listeners on this podcast, perhaps to Daryl. But we've they fall off a cliff without Embiid, and uh, the backup center option is either a guy that like looks a little bit lost sometimes, but has capable length and wingspan. Uh, and instincts, or a guy that is just literally just doing nothing out there. He had one. He had one block in the Warriors game, and then like that's that's like his defensive play for the month. He's just eleven minutes, one shot attempt, miss, two rebounds, no other statistics. Like it's just like, what are we doing? He's just not good. I, I just we're, there's in the Harden article, which we'll talk about. Yep. Um, Harden mentioned that there's this team has no lob threats. Yes. And I think obviously that doesn't mean that like guys can't catch a lob. Like there were a couple lobs thrown, you know, Matisse is capable of doing that. Although it's By not the way, necessarily Embiid, comfortable. Embiid catching a lob for the first time in probably like five years against Golden I liked State. It a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it very much. Um, but it's just like, if you're not going to play a guy that anyway, that's right. fine. That's well, how I, I've done it so many times, but yeah, I, I think your point is, is a fair one. I think the fact that he's an asshole covers colors. A lot of the, of the, uh, how we feel about him. And the Sixers have been good in regular season. And there's honestly nothing that Doc can do in the regular season to adjust the narrative on him. No. Um, at this point, he's just had too many playoff collapses. He's had too many great players that underperform in the playoffs and too many blown leads. Like it's just, sure. It's All fair. There's, there's not, there's not much that he can do. And I think that like, was he getting too much blame for when they were being, when they weren't playing up to their potential earlier the season, maybe, maybe a little bit. I think a lot of it is um, just like time together, you know, between Harden and Embiid and Maxi. Just like it's they're trying to develop this ecosystem. You remember in the in the um, in those clips from training camp, or I don't remember if it was in South Carolina or or back in Philly, but like him saying like this isn't a democracy, yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. those that that kind of conversation. I think like that is how he thinks about it. And he thinks about that a lot more than he thinks about like what plays to run or what like sets to get into. I think he's thinking about it just more like holistically, like who should have more touches, who should be empowered and all that stuff. And I think that's why when, when things fall apart and him just being like, just go, 
go do it. Like there's no set to fall back into. It's just more like give the ball to the guy that should have the ball. Um, that it sometimes fails and stuff, but I do think that's why players like playing for him um, more more often than not. Speaking of Doc Rivers, after the outrageous, just heartwarming story of the four on five um, playoff basketball game that Mike yeah. coached his team through, we got a few voicemails um, wondering wondering one specific thing 833 lickface is the voicemail number uh let me just get to a couple of them here i think they're important dude there's no way there's no way doc wins that game that mike won there's no way there's four and five first off mike like wow like i almost got a little welled up when you were telling that story i love an underdog but there's no way doc rivers wins that game no way. Like, there's no way. <laughs> Mike, your comment. Uh, Do you think Doc could have won that game that you won four on five in the playoffs? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like Doc maybe, I was, I was lively. I was lively yeah. at this point. I feel yeah. like I was, they were so tired out there that I had to, I had to give just as much energy as they uh, were giving. Another I don't know that one. Doc has it in him anymore. 833 Lickface. Hey, Spike and Mike. This is Joe from Ambler. First time, long time. Uh, Sixers question, based off what I heard in the last pod, uh, what would the DraftKings odds be if Mike was the Sixers coach for the Sixers to win the championship? And non-Sixers question, have you guys ever gotten ejected from a sporting event or game? And if not, what is your favorite uh, ejection of all time. Love the pod. Thanks, guys. So, Mike, the Sixers are currently plus 2,200 to win the title at DraftKings. If you were the coach, what do you think would happen to those odds? <laughs> Set them. Vegas, I'd, Mike. I think this is insider trading if I, <laughs> oh, right, to, right, for me right. to even answer this. I say they go to minus, minus 1,900. Wow. I, I think they shorten up. It is you know? not. It is almost very similar to the, the Whoopi Goldberg movie, Eddie, where yes. she coaches yes. the Knicks. Yep. Uh, Sixers hire local podcaster yeah. to coach the team. <laughs> oh my uh, God, this would be, would be an incredible story. Would, would be pretty funny. Yeah. Um, trying to think like the like how I would earn their respect. <laughs> I don't think I would, and I think that they would. You know, all their you friends want- would go back and listen to the podcast and be like, "This guy's fucking asshole." Look at all the things he said about. Montrez, you should kick your guy's ass. And I'd be like, yeah, he should. You show Absolutely. up in your Dickies coach jacket. I have the, the I have the jacket. So, uh, um, no, I don't think it'd be, I don't think it'd be very good. Um, okay. But I wouldn't, I would bring back the Brett Brown bell after the game. Yeah. Sure. I mean, like my that. first, my first order of business would be bringing back the bell. So, uh, Tim Bontemps. Oh, wait, we, we oh. didn't answer the. Oh, I've, I've never been, have I ever been kicked out of a sporting event? No. Favorite ejection. I don't know if I understand that necessarily. I've been told to calm down by an usher once or twice, but never kicked out. Uh, oh, I was thinking about as a, as a, a sporting event that I've like played or coached. Oh, in. participant. No. Uh, I've gotten a couple technicals, but never ejected, which is surprising. I think because I'm hot-headed and then immediately when confronted by somebody like a ref, I get very bashful <laughs> very quickly. I say like, oh, no, thank you. Never mind. Like it's, it, it, I pull it. I, w- I wilt pretty quickly. I got, um, I got yanked by my own coach once for two straight cross-checking penalties in hockey when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. But I, I only did that because I didn't know how to stop on ice skates. So I just cross-checked people. So. But that wasn't wasn't from an official. It was from the coach. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many good. I think baseball has the best ejections. I think that's yeah. when you. It's yeah. just a more fun uh, situation. It's always emotional. It's always get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's they don't they don't confer. They just fucking yeah. send them home. You know. Yeah. That's always that's very fun. And then baseball players and managers hide out in the fucking tunnel mm-hmm. in between the dugout yeah. and the locker room. I love it. Yeah. And then you taking off their hat. You don't see much. Like if players started taking off their like unlacing their shoes and there's not enough like gear to throw in right. basketball right. whereas baseball really has that and there's a longer walk out of there I, I think actually if i'm to look back my favorite ejection was when do you remember when bynum leveled jj berea and then like took his shirt off before he left the court mm-hmm. <laughs> that was very funny mm-hmm. yeah something about removing something yeah whether it's a hat yeah. or 
kicking dust on a on a home plate situation. Yeah, be very funny. Uh, so the ESPN MVP straw poll came out. This came from, this is per uh, Tim Bontemps, ESPN.com to gauge where the MVP race stands roughly a third of the way through the regular season. ESPN asked 100 media members to participate in an informal poll that mimics the NBA's postseason award voting process. To make the balloting as realistic as possible, there were at least two voters from each of the league's 28 markets, along with a cross section of national and international reporters. As with the NBA's official voting at the end of the season, voters were asked to submit a five-player ballot and results were tabulated using the league's scoring system. First was, let me, let me give you the order of operations here, or the, the order of, of, of players in the straw poll, the first one. Jason Tatum, number one. Giannis Antetokounmpo, number two. Luka Doncic, number three. Steph Curry, number four. Nikola Jokic, number five. John Morant, number six, Kevin Durant, number seven, Zion Williamson, number eight, Devin Booker, number nine, and Joel Embiid right ahead of Donovan Mitchell at number 10 with zero first or second place votes. I'm not saying Embiid should be the MVP right now, but he should not be 10th. Like this is a, I think this is a, a and I, I don't even have a problem with Jason Tate and Marianas as one and two. No, you can't. Uh, um, but I, I, think you could make a very fair argument for Embiid over Doncic, Jokic, Morant, Durant, and Zion very easily. Uh, Booker's been really, really good. I And his team's really good too. But Yeah, they've been scuffling a little bit lately. Yeah. Um, but prior to the last like week or two, um, yeah, they would, they would deserve it. Zion's been awesome. I love Zion. He's the man. One of my, very close to being my favorite player in the league. Um, Jokic has been good too, man. Like there's still it's a it's it, there's a bunch of good players in this league, and the Sixers haven't been good enough to like deserve it. You could also say the same thing about like Dallas and Golden State, which is which yes. is weird. Which is weird why they're that far above Joel, despite the fact that they have you know similar or worse records. Um, Golden State's in, in under five hundred. Golden yeah. State's under five hundred. Yeah, and he'll be out for a while, so I don't think. Yeah, I don't think uh, right after I traded for him in the John Gonzalez fantasy league, so. It's pretty tough for me, but I am beating legs this week, so that that feels good. Um, legs also dealing with injuries, to be to be fair. Um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't. I I I sort of like threw out the the, the MB, MVP yeah. uh, at least for the next. I, I I don't think he's ever going to win MVP. It's sort of after the last two seasons of it not happening. It should it should have been one of them. It definitely should have been last season. Um, but so I sort of like I sort of was like, okay, it's not gonna happen. He's still scoring a fuckload of points, and it doesn't seem a lot of times it doesn't seem like he's do he's doing it like you know in a this is a positive thing, like more effortlessly than he has in previous seasons. Yep. Um, which I like. Would like to continue seeing him hit threes, a little bit of a three point renaissance for Embiid here. Not not as many um attempts, but they have been going in. Um seems to feel good about there. I'd like to, him to get off a couple more. But um I've just sort of been like, okay, if it didn't happen last season, it's, it's never going to happen. I think they're, uh, it, he is, he just, it, a guy that big with that many responsibilities on his shoulders, um, you have to like look unstoppable and it's, just, it's he's, easier he's for those guys story. to look unstoppable yeah. because of their athleticism and, um, the like smoothness and how many how many shots they're taking and how many I, I just feel like Tatum maybe not he's just having an incredible season um, but yeah I think I think there's like a there's a thing with people about Embiid and I think they're just like not they're not going to give it to him ever and so he's just going to have to have some playoff success and then maybe maybe after that that would would turn into something it's just like it's like 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 Jokic Denver's one of the worst three defensive teams in the league so far this year. And and like I think you could partially or largely pin that on Jokic. Like I don't think you can pin the fact that the the Sixers haven't been. You know I I don't know. I yeah. The th I, the thing with all these other guys, in addition to Embiid, is that the their teams fall off a cliff when they're not there. Yeah. Jokic is definitely like that. Luca is definitely like that. Steph, hundred percent. I wonder. I haven't looked, but I wonder if Zion is like that. And I'm like. Happy he's getting recognition because he's playing awesome. He's such a fun watch. 
He's not an MVP candidate yet, though, I don't think. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Um, but they are the best team in the West right now, so you got to give it at least early in the season. This is why it's a straw poll. You give, you give, for some, sure. throw give some them credit, credit for away. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Can I say one more quick thing about the Warriors game? Uh, yeah. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. James Wiseman sucks. <laughs> he does. He's awful. And he does. the propaganda network of Warriors and Bay Area reporters or whatever, whoever's anything, whether it's just like national people or that whatever, continue to be like, should they trade him? Should they sell low on James Wiseman? Like, can they, can they, Wiseman and a pick could get them like Kyle Kuzma? It's like, no one, he's in the G League. He's not good. He's not better than Jaleel Okafor. He is not better at basketball than Jaleel Okafor. Okafor, unfortunately for him, was definitely not as good as people, uh, wanted him to be, but also was in a tough situation for his era, for tough era for his skill set. In 10, 15, 20, any before that, he would have been a successful NBA player. James Wiseman would be a successful NBA player, never. In no era of basketball. Maybe when everyone else was like 5'7", and he was just so big that he could do anything, but like, he, there's not, he cannot, he's not good on defense, He's not a smart player. Anytime he takes a jump shot, even when it goes in, you're like, great, fine. That's totally fine. He's a lob threat. You can find plenty of lob threats. He's not a good rebounder. He's not, he's just like not a, he's just not that good. And everyone keeps being like, but the potential. And it's like, there's not much there. I think so much people get just like locked into when some, where someone was drafted and you go like, you're going to hang on to that forever. The Warriors fucked up by drafting him. They could have had so many other players. They yeah. made the mistake. It was a mistake then, and it continues to be a mistake. And they won a championship despite, A, drafting a total dud at two, and B, not trading him for, you could say, anybody, Miles Turner, whoever, uh, when people still thought James Wiseman was James Wiseman. And he's not. He's just a guy. Poor. Poor Sam from Light Years. It, I like. I feel like hates James Wiseman more than I ever hated Ben Simmons. Like, like has has turned on uh, Wise. He's just not good at anything. He's not good at anything. Yeah, he's not he's good. Just a guy that can catch lobs, which is nice. You can get those guys in the second round. I've, yeah, like, I I continually see. I always said, for whatever reason, Nick Richards was the guy that I kept being like. Just you can get Nick Richards in the second round. You can get Nick Richards undrafted. You can get those guys. You don't have to spend a top three pick on them. And Nick Richards has turned himself into a really solid NBA player in Charlotte. Better than I thought he would be. I wasn't like so high on Nick Richards. He's just a guy. He's just a guy who rebounds and catches lobs and sets screens and doesn't try to do too much. And has a nice little touch at the foul line, I will say. But like, it was, it was such a dumb pick then. It was dumb for them to not trade him. And they won a championship in spite of that. And everyone continuously being like, well, James Wiseman, I don't know. They keep talking about him. Like, he's bad. Let's move on. Before we get to the Harden article from your own, Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process, you might be asking yourself, how do you spell Kasabi? I need a realtor. How do I spell Kasabi? K-S-E-B-E. K-S-E-B-E. You might be asking yourself, how do I get in touch with Adam Kasabi? Here's his cell phone number. Call him or text him, 302-864-8643, 302-864-8643, or email adam at processrealtor.com. Adam's specialty and his team, who is based out of Long and Foster and Bethany Beach, Adam's specialty is Delaware beaches. I was mentioning, you know, Christmas presents earlier when I talked about Kinetic. Hey, you want to you want to get your spouse a, a shore home for Christmas? Call Kasabi. Adam Kasabi can help you out. Uh, the Delaware beaches are a much better value than the New Jersey beaches. Tons of options: Lewis, Rehoboth, Bethany, et cetera, et cetera. And your tax bill is going to be like ten percent of what it is in New Jersey. So if you're thinking about a shore house, you want to get a Delaware shore house, rent it out for like three quarters of the summer. It'll pay your mortgage for the year. Adam Kasabi is the person that can help you out. Never mind, they can find you a house or sell your house anywhere in Delaware, anywhere in Maryland. And here's the special great thing about Adam Kasabi. Even though he cannot sell you a house in New Jersey, New York, PA, et cetera, et cetera, he can be your conduit to a realtor who can. What he'll do is if you reach out to Kasabi, he will interview realtors until he finds the exact right one who can fit your needs. Did it for me. He can do it for you. Again, Adam Kasabi is the official realtor of the process. The only realtor you need, K-S-E-B-E. 
cell phone number 302-864-8643 or email adam at processrealtor.com. Uh, you want to talk about your sweatshirt for a sec? Oh yeah. Out the mud, the <clears> official <throat> B-Ball Paul sweatshirt. How was from the customer Paul. service? So the customer service was excellent. So you purchased this sweatshirt by DMing Paul Reed, <laughs> the actual basketball player. <laughs> and, and friend of the pot. And friend of the pot. Paul Reed. So I sent him a DM. I said, B-Ball Paul, I'm interested in buying an out the mud hoodie. He was like, what size, what color? Sent me a picture of all the colors. I decided on this stop sign red with the out the mud thing. I Venmoed him the $100, which includes FedEx shipping. Amazing. Uh, about a week, they were on a road trip when I ordered it. When they came back, B-Ball Paul <laughs> sent me <laughs> He had a, to wait till the road trip was over. Yeah, because he had to come home and send it himself. <laughs> he he DM'd me the, the tracking. Is he going to FedEx? Yes. Somebody, we got an email. You think he is walking into FedEx himself? A hundred percent. If anyone sees B-Ball Paul at FedEx sending sweatshirts to people, we need to hear about it. We got a, we got a, a DM from somebody who saw him shipping out sweatshirts at the, the FedEx store or whatever. Oh, that already yeah. happened. Amazing. Yeah. So, so I get the tracking. And here, here is, I'm going to give him credit because you know, I'm a merch guy. I, I, I take great care in the fact that our, our t-shirts, our hats or whatever are good quality. This is a very good quality, heavy champion hoodie. And then the, I was worried about the, the graphics, the out in the mud graphics, that it would be some cheap digital, uh, digital print. It isn't, it's like, it's felt and it's done really well. It is a very good hoodie. I'll be wearing it all winter. I recommend the Paul Reed hoodie. I've, I, I paid for this. I did not even get a discount, did not even get a free one. And I'm recommending that you buy a hoodie from B-Ball Paul. Wow. Yeah, there it is. He didn't pay one cent for that. Not one cent. That's very nice. It's, it's amazing. Like, you know, some guys get involved in the Players Association. Some guys start their rap careers or mm -hmm. their wine careers. And B-Ball Paul is doing it all by himself. Yep. Becoming a merch guy. Yep. Interacting with the customers. Yep. Getting to FedEx. Yep. I wonder if the FedEx people know him. Oh, look, B-Ball Paul's here again. B-Ball Paul's back. How many sweatshirts this time? Sack of sweatshirts or whatever. <laughs> sack. Yeah. I like sack. I, yeah. He, I, I forget who did the I interview. want him to start oh, go ahead. packaging sweatshirts on the bench. If Doc's not going to play him, he should be allowed to do some of the stuff on the bench. Bring the labels. Bring the labels. Kind of, yep. Bring some like shipping. Give him some tape. There's extra. Uh, there's extra spots on the bench. Have the FedEx guy on the bench with him. You know, that's Maybe good. He could, yeah, yeah, yeah. So great, great hoodie from Beepaw Paul. Great hoodie from. I worked Paul. with a writer one time who's a for a little bit on over Zoom, who was only there for a little bit and who is uh, more well known than he should have been on the show. And under the under the Zoom camera was him like doing some sort of like shipping operation, some like packaging something, and we could never exactly tell what it was, whether it was like fan mail or something. And I want so I want people Paul to be doing that. It should, if he's allowed to do that, then then people Paul should be allowed to do that. My dad twice had a bobbleheads that they sold for charity, and they were packed up and shipped between my father and my uncle out of my parents' garage all of the bobbleheads. So if you ever ordered a Howard Eskin bobblehead, it was shipped by packaged and shipped by other Howard or Eric Eskin for wow. sure. hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, our very own, your own Weitzman who wrote, uh, w the first process book and which we had a, a whole chapter in, which we mm -hmm. give him great credit for. And has written many articles over the years about the then, about with his connections inside the team. Yeah, he's like a national Sixers writer almost, I, I would say. So Yaron did a, a, you don't see very many of these, a sort of like sit down interview with James Harden yeah. about several different things in which Harden did answer all questions, whether, whether they're approved answers or not, he answered all questions. Uh, about everything, about the collapse, about his injury, about playing with Embiid. And Harden seemed... Sometimes delusional, but always honest, I felt like in his responses. I thought there was an interesting thing before 
after Euron's lead and before the actual interview started, Euron writes, before we continue, Harden wanted to make something very clear. Any quote you read here was simply a response to a question and not him trying to make any sort of excuses, though he knows how much that's how much of what he said is going to be interpreted. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think all guys that that do the like, I don't care what people say, then reveal themselves to be to be caring about what people say. Yep. And I think that's very human. I think it's super like a natural thing to feel um, as like a famous person that people are hanging on, you know, every play or every season to then shift the narrative on you and everything. Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought that it was a very human interview. It felt mm-hmm. like a guy that was trying to reckon with getting older Yes. Being towards the end of his best years. Yep. And having not had the success that he believes he should have. Um, a lot of things have happened because of that. Those are the excuses that Harden didn't really want to go into so much. The excuses in the past were like, well, we just weren't good enough. We didn't have a good enough team and there's only so much I can do, which is partially true. And now it's, more like, well, he wasn't healthy. I wasn't healthy. My hamstring wasn't right. Um, and I thought it was just like, you're seeing this guy who's like, who knows he's on his last legs, who wants, who wants to do right by like, wants to do right by his teammates and make sure that like they know he's going to get them the ball, but also be the guy that can. I think he feels a little box. He probably feels a little boxed in. It was like, well, if I don't do too much, if I don't like demand the ball and go make shots, then people are going to say I'm just like deferring. And if I'm doing that too much, then people are going to say I'm like a ball hog and I'm not doing that. Um, but I thought it was a, I thought it was a good article. I thought Euron did a great job. Um, and it's, it, is a, it is a reminder of how the three seminal pl- people on this team, four, Daryl, James, Doc, Joel, need playoff success, all of them, right. to like cement the people that they believe themselves to be. I don't think Doc thinks that he does need it, but he does. He does. Um, Already named one of the 10 best coaches of all time. Yeah, which is so, ridiculous. Yeah. But but if uh, he, I think, I do think he, you know, the, the, the book on him now is mostly about how many great players he's had that, that he hasn't succeeded with. Um, and, and so I think those four guys, like really this season, because there's not much time left, for at least one of them and who knows about the other is like, you got, they got to win. They got to win in the playoffs. And I think that this, I wonder if we, if we see more articles like this about them, because this is like of how much is riding on it for all of them. I think your comment about it, about listening, about reading his reckoning with where he is in his career, both in a, an honest way and an honest, but, wrong way in a lot of times is is very apt and I didn't think about it that way. I thought Yaron did a good job of pointing that out about Harden, about how every time he says he doesn't care what people say, he follows it up with a yeah. retort about what people say. Which is not just a Harden thing, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I like, I just want to go over a couple of the quotes. Um, one of them, and, and I do, now that you say that, I do have a more empathetic view of the article than I did before. The, there were a few things that I wanted to point out I thought were interesting. So one, the first one, when he talks about the Nets experience, and he says, I don't mean to just like talk down to anybody or whatever. It was just, there was no structure and even superstars, they need structure. That's what allows us to be the best players and leaders for our respective organizations. True, though the book on, on you, you in Houston and your relationship with Daryl is that they sort of let you get away with whatever you wanted. And I think that is that right here, it is, I I think it was probably very interesting to him to be in a place where he was not the person setting those standards, you know, where it was somebody else and how out of control it looked. And then he said, I just feel like internally things weren't what I expected when I was trying to get traded there. I think everybody knows that. And I knew people were going to talk and say, you quit and all that stuff. But then the following summer, the other superstar there wanted to leave Durant. So it's like, am I still the quitter? I think the answer is you're both the quitter. (laughs) 
in, in that respect. I think Durant is a quitter and you are a quitter. And I think it does prove what he said, that there needs to be structure um, but that needs to go for sort of everybody, I think. And I, I think that was part of what the only real superstar sort of like team up situation being in Miami, the one, the only one that really, like really worked is, is the one that had the most structure and the most like backbone in terms of management cohesiveness, you know? Um, so the, the thing about game six about him basically checking out in game six, right? And I thought this was another interesting thing too. And this is, this sort of leans into something your own gets into later when he talks about sort of Joel with Harden versus Joel uh, against Harden in some, in some way. He talks about the game six thing and he says, I'm getting traded to a situation where he got a guy in Joel Embiid, who in my opinion should have been the MVP and everything was geared toward Joel. Everything was Joel, 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 which I get that's how they were playing the entire year. And so I was trying to fit in. It was never like here, you're James Harden. This is how we want you to run the show. That's kind of the role I was playing. Um, and then he goes on to say, he doesn't make excuses. And he later says, um, the way our team's built, wait, da, 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 da. Uh, he, he laughed at the question of him losing a step. It's the way our team's built. Our bigs aren't lob threats getting behind the defensive big and pushing him down. So there's always a big in front of me. So it just makes more sense for me to shoot the mid range shot or a floater other than trying to go in and draw contact. Yeah. Which is, which is at least mostly wrong. Yes. He just, he can't get by. We've seen him not being able to get by people yeah. the same way. Anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah. have the step anymore, but yeah. I think it would look better if there was a backup center that was like Onyeko Okongwu who could just like screen and roll and catch lobs. Trez can't do that anymore. B-ball Paul, is, that's not his strong suit. Um, I would, if he's, if B-ball Paul added 50 inches to his vertical, which he should have, uh, that was his homework assignment. Um, then, I don't know why he couldn't also like work on becoming a more of a lob threat, but uh, it'd be nice if they had one. So, so to maybe at least partially mitigate the absolute real step that Harden has lost with the ball in his hands. Well, I, by the way, him saying, I don't have a lob threat on the team that has Montrose Harrell on it yeah. is such an incredible indictment of them signing Montrose Harrell. Yeah. It's it's the biggest indictment of all time because yeah. that was what Montrez Harrell was supposed to be able to do. He's six foot seven with a, a, a two two hundred pound legs. Right, he can't do it anymore. It's an incredible indictment of him. Um, and then I have one other thing in the article I wanted to get. If to. we Before, go into the playoffs with fucking Montrez Harrell and B-Ball Paul still in the situation that they were last year, which like of Doc not not wanting to play the guy that's better i'm gonna i'm gonna lose it we can't if, at least they have to try to make a trade sixers adam uh we can get back to the hard article but sixers adam reference maybe andre drummond i i wouldn't like it i wouldn't like it but it'd be better than doc playing Trez at least right well, I, I can't the bull, wait and the to see that happen. happen. Yeah, by the way, but because I, uh, I know at least, it's going to happen. At least Drummond is a uh, is a lob threat, although is another guy that has lost many uh, ounces of yeah. blood in his legs. Yeah, and can and I don't think can play in the playoffs. But whatever. No. Uh, before we get to the final thing, our final sponsor of the pod, talk about Christmas time, the final week of shopping. None other than LL Pavorsky Jewelers is where you got to go. That's it. Oh God, what a great gift for your loved one you can come away with if you go to El Pavorsky Jewelers. Maybe you've been thinking about getting engaged. What better time than the holidays? You think it's too cliche. Let me tell you. It's cliche for a reason. It's fun. Imagine Christmas Eve night by the tree or if you don't celebrate Christmas by the window. Uh, you fucking propose with an El Pavorsky ring. More than 300 Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners have purchased engagement rings from L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. That's right. All, all of them say the same thing. Mike purchased engagement ring from L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. That's right. All of them say the same thing. Oh my God, what a fucking guy. They say, oh my God, what great jewelry. Oh my God, I got a wonderful price. Oh my God, he forced me to write a complimentary email to you guys as well afterwards. 
almost everything good about LL Pavorsky Jewelers. And if you're already married, an, an amazing, you know, holiday gift, an amazing Valentine's Day gift, an amazing gift because you did something wrong, an amazing gift just to say I love you. LL Pavorsky Jewelers is the only place you should go. Only place. Been in business for more than 30 years. And every single person who we interact with who who went to LL Pavorsky Jewelers says the same thing. Amazing. 215-627-2252 to make an appointment with LL. Appointment only because he wants to concentrate on you. 707 Walnut is where the store has been for over three decades. You could also email him, lee at llpavorsky.com or tweet at him at llpavorsky. Always a generous supporter of our sponsors, or not our sponsors, our uh, our charities, Providence Animal Center and Mama T's Community Fridge. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Do the process three or more times. Get engaged three or more to four more times. A uh, final thing about defense and about, you know, it does seem as if even in Harden's return, the offense at least has remained more Joel focused than previously, I think. Um this is from uh, Embiid. Uh, it, it's from your own Anne Embiid. Embiid told reporters numerous times that Sixers were done switching on screens, Harden's longtime preferred defensive scheme. I think at the beginning of the year, the mistake we made was we tried to go one through five a lot, Embiid told reporters. Switch, I, switch, switch everybody. Switch, switch everybody. Screen. I can do it, but like, it's not what I'm good at. Uh, it's kind of like a lot on my shoulders because we play a lot out of delay. So it's really on me to make sure the offense keeps moving. That's what Euron asked him about offense. Delay has long been an Embiid staple in an alignment where he catches the ball at the top of the key where Harden likes to orchestrate and runs offense with a spread out floor. Earlier in the season, a rival scout had told me the Sixers weren't running that set as much as in years past. I asked Embiid if it was true. We weren't, but we now are, he told me. We have to keep doing it. Um... I sort of respect Embiid's I'm the best player on the team. Everything's got to revolve around me um, because he is the best player on the team. It's not Harden. And I, while I do think that Embiid thinks that the offense has to be a little more Embiid-centric than it has to be, I respect Embiid saying like, no, we're not doing what's best for Harden. We're doing what's best for Joel because Joel is the one that has to take us to the promised land. I think yeah. it's interesting. <clears throat> I think that's the that's the sort of um, uh, not democracy thing that I was talking yeah. about the do- the, from Doc earlier. Um, but it's it's uh, the team has looked at times a lot this year, which is a my turn your turn situation. Yeah, and uh, over the next five months, it is their job to make it look more cohesive. And find ways to be successful and effective um, with both of them on the court. And then when Maxi comes back with all of them on the court and feel like they're a fluid offense, there's no reason why more more good players should make them look slower and more rigid offensively. So let's find a way to make it work. Joel has been setting screens, but he's going to have to do it for Maxi also. The defense thing is interesting to me. Because like against the Warriors, Joel was in a drop for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And Kevon Looney would set a screen on, let's say, Jordan Poole being covered by DeAnthony Melton. And Embiid's dropping. And it's just like he's walking into a three. Like, that is not an effective system. I get that they would prefer to have guys take shots off the dribble than shots off the catch. When they're wide open, I understand that. And they have some level of trust in all of their defenders to get around screens. But you got to give them some help. And so whether it's a, that's why I like Bebo Paul so much is because he'll like at least stunt or hedge and then be able to recover. You never see, I, I wonder if this is a um, a pride thing with Joel, but like you never see like with a, you know, he, he's not a, um, he's not a liability on defense, obviously. Joel, even in, in against anybody in, in the open court, him having to defend on the perimeter, he can do it. He doesn't want to do it. He shouldn't have to do it as much, especially in like regular season games. You want him to be back there protecting the rim. But uh, for other defensive liabilities or guys that you don't want to protect in, uh, out in the perimeter, they will not allow the switch as easily. They will not allow their guy to cover it. They will switch before the screen gets set. So like if Kevon Looney comes over to set the screen, Embiid could gesture to like Tobias 
as an example, even though I didn't play last game and I did miss him. I missed him when he wasn't playing. Um, look great on the bench. Nice sweater. We are a pro Tobias podcast. Absolutely. He could gesture to Tobias. Okay, you go go with Kevon Looney. I will then switch onto your guy who is not setting the screen to allow for that switch to happen with you know Tobias and Melton. And then so then Melton would switch on Kevon Looney, which is obviously like I don't know if they. It's not like a. They would have it would have to be personnel based, and I think that maybe that kind of thing wouldn't happen until the playoffs when you. So, knew the other team so well and you got into a rhythm against them and and the matchup uh, made it worthwhile but if we're not going to have Embiid switch everything sometimes when it counts I'm fine with it now for the most part I would like a little bit more of a hedge or a meeting him at the middle and then recovering especially depending on who the screener is then I, w- I wonder if they start to switch before the screen gets set I feel like you see that mm. with like good heady defensive teams yeah, but. And I would like to see like a couple examples of that over the course of the season as an option so that if MB doesn't want to switch one through five, then let's get him onto somebody else on the perimeter, especially if it's late enough in the shot clock. That just requires so much communication to where like they couldn't just again, like, OK, let's reset and let's set the screen with the guy Embiid is covering. Like it's almost like kind of like a half zone situation. And it might require Embiid to be switched onto like as an example, just keeping with the Warriors like Andrew Wiggins or something. But like. If he doesn't want to be switching against guys who can really shoot, Jordan Poole, Steph, whatever, um, Jason Tatum, whatever, then like the answer can't just be like, okay, fight around that screen, fight around this huge, massive screen, fight around this Grant Williams screen, D'Anthony Melton. It's going to take him some time to get there, and it will allow Jason Tatum to have an open shot. And so I just wanted to see options, and, and uh, uh, I wonder what, like, whether it's Dan Burke or um, Dave Yeager, like, what is the thought process defensively? Of like, what what are we going to do to that? And it can't just be like simply he's just going to drop and allow an open three. To well, right, shooters. because every playoffs during with that that drop coverage, we get murdered because the the other team that you're playing eventually has a, a player who can obliterate you. Doing yeah, that. and I also get I, I I also get like okay, we don't want to we want to prevent shots at the rim. I like that. I'm I'm a fan of that. Um, and if it's the right three point shooters taking shots, then I'm also that's also fine. You have, you have to live with it. They're going to get some shots off. But I, I just there the, it is a, um, a gut punch or a dick punch in spike in, in spike terms when their best players just get to walk into open threes. Yeah, happened with Trey Young. Like, fuck, man, we we saw it happen with um, Kemba Walker. Is, is CJ is Mike completely frozen to you? What the hell is that? I don't know. Computer you just restart out of nowhere. Yeah. That sucked. Know. Fucking huh? Doc Rivers hacking onto my computer. That's all right. Um, Getting into my mainframe. I uh, I have one mailbag and one more Replacing me with Montrez Harrell. <laughs> one voicemail, one email before we get going. The uh, email address, writestrickysanchez at gmail.com. Writestrickysanchez at gmail.com. This came from Andrew. If you have Milton and Melton, and one of them is named Shake, then the other one has to be Steak. Nothing could be more obvious. Steak Melton. Make it happen. What do you think? So steak Melton. Steak Melton and Shake um, Melton. Steak and Shake. It's not a bad thought. No, it's not it's not bad. It's and a funny is, nickname. Yeah, and he is like the thicker of the two and yep. he's he's the protein of 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 the team. He Would be a great t shirt. Just like a, a big steak and a shake. We could think about it. Yeah. We could definitely think about it. it would, I would want him to I wonder what he I would like someone to ask him about it. Like if if especially during like a once Tyrese gets back and they become like the bench guard rotation, like it's not a bad th- something to keep in mind over time. Eight three three Lickface is the voicemail number. Hey Eric here. I I got something to say to all these fair weather fans who who just can't even bring themselves to enjoy anything about the team this year. Get over it. Have a little fun. So what if they're going to lose in the second round? You don't know that. This happens every year with every team. Not every team wins the championship every year. I get that they lose in spectacular fashion, but if you can't enjoy the journey, what's the point of being a sports fan? Just stop caring about it. Stop talking about it. Stop calling, you know, podcast lines about it. Just enjoy your time on this earth and enjoy when Joel B drops 53 on bad team sets. Who doesn't love it? All right. Have a good day, guys. Jason Lipschitz now paying people yeah, to, to leave voicemails. To leave voicemails. Yeah, it's With his agenda. Ridiculous. Yep. 
I, look, I think that is a healthy way to live. Sure. For sure. But I don't know. I, I feel like the why can't you just enjoy it for what it is is not for people who call podcast lines and listen to Sixers <laughs> podcast. Like, yeah. like if if you're if you're fucking listening to this at this point, like you have a, an absolute right to be frustrated if they lose in the second round again, totally, right? and not just enjoy it like a normal person. Totally. I mean, there's people that go to like Pistons games right now and really hope they win. Yeah, they just want their to see their team win or Spurs games right now, and it's like, yep. Some people aren't thinking about it on any level other than that, which is fine. Absolutely. But it's also fine to, you know, want to bash your dick in and yes. uh, call podcast lines and uh, say that this fucking team is making you want to drown yourself. Absolutely. And actually, one more voicemail because I feel like you will love this one and then we'll get going. 833 Lickface. Hey guys, watching the Warriors game and this is probably the first time in, in my life where I was like, wow, I... I kind of miss watching Tobias Harris play basketball with the Sixers. And I, I, I think the correlation is, I think after everyone watched Nick Castellanos with his money, just absolutely suck. And then I, I think everybody got over the whole Tobias contract thing for good. And I think everyone's like, you know what? Tobias Harris really isn't that bad. I, I, I think we like him. Let me know what you guys think. Yeah, I, I definitely as I said, like felt, felt Tobias's absence in that game for sure. Um, they, they lacked athleticism and, uh, someone that just like, he's a, you know, as far as like modern wings go, the Sixers haven't had many of them. It's been like Jimmy and then like, eh, look around. Um, and so Tobias has had to be like, He's been like the most reasonable facsimile of that kind of player that like everyone else around the league seems to have and want as a guy like he can he can switch everything a little bit. He can defend. He's made himself into a better defender. He can shoot now off the catch. He can get you a bucket, like those kinds of things. And so like they definitely missed him in this game. I like that they sat him. If his back's hurting and like that's a good like there's a good game to sit. Get him a mm -hmm. couple extra days of rest against a team that is very shorthanded. It was nice, but I did you feel his absence for sure. For sure you do. Um, and the Cassianos thing is an interesting correlation. Um, he was he was very bad for much of the season. Those three diving catches that were all the same exact diving catches, it was pretty crazy for that to happen and him to make all those plays. That was nice. But um, I think more so the attention on the team has diverted to like Harden is not the guy that we, that we traded for. Embiid sometimes looks a little bit lackluster despite the points that he's putting up and everything not always playing at the at the height of his powers and then and then doc running into the same rakes that he always does um and so tobias has sort of taken a backseat to that um and he has been good and tobias just has been good and he has not been remotely the problem with this team in any way we will who's the next game against toronto toronto right a, a who has been struggling toronto team yeah, struggling Toronto, who will, I'm sure, make it the fucking, yeah. the game will be torture. This yeah. is. They got to uh, win this game. Look, this is, there's five after this one, four after this one. So it's got to be, we got Toronto, but then it's Detroit and then uh, Clippers. Am I missing one? Yeah, Toronto, Detroit, Clippers, and those are the last home games. And then at the Knicks, at the Wizards. So. Knicks playing better. Knicks, what, won six in a row? Something like that? Yeah, not 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 scared of the Knicks. Shouldn't be scared of the Knicks. Knicks, yeah. Knicks, Knicks has to be a win as well. But let's focus one at a time. One at a time. Five more to go. All right, we will talk to you then. Uh, until that time, are you go down birds. with T Go Birds? Are you down, are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know, like this. If you don't fuck with me, then I, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing this.